Hi, my name is Sahil Makkar, and today I'm joined by Australia's leading epidemiologist, Professor Catherine Bennett. Professor Bennett is the head of epidemiology at Deakin University. She will share with us her expert analysis on the latest COVID-19 situation in the country and her advice for the broader Australian community. Welcome to SBS, Professor Bennett. Thank you, Sahil. Professor Bennett, I will begin this interview by asking you to provide us a brief on the latest COVID-19 situation in the country. Well, ever since Omicron landed in Australia at the end of 2021, we have seen a succession of waves. So we had the first big wave with Omicron arriving as we opened up our internal borders and our, our international borders since. But then we saw another, before the numbers came down completely, as we went into autumn, we saw another push up in the cases when we moved from the first Omicron variant, BA1, to another related sibling variant, BA2, that was a bit more infectious and a bit more able to escape our immune system. So prior vaccination and or even prior infection didn't mean you might not get another infection with this new variant. So that helped push case numbers up as well as the fact that it's a bit more infectious. Then we move further along the year and by May, we already had BA4 and 5 in our country. And we're hearing a lot more about it now because those, as a proportion of our total number of infections, those BA4 and 5 are rising and that's true elsewhere in the world. So we're concerned that this is pushing our numbers up yet again. And we're starting to see that across all states, whether you're looking at how many people are testing positive or the number of people in hospital who have COVID, whether they're there for COVID or not. So that's the concern that the infection rates are going up. And these most recent variants, while they're very similar to the others in the way they move faster, but they they cause a similar disease, which thankfully now is less likely to push you in hospital because of our high levels of immunity in the population. But the BA5 might be... Um, a bit different. That looks like it. it's more efficient at binding to proteins in our respiratory linings, in our lungs. That means while Omicron's often characterised by throat infection, a sore throat and, and cold-like symptoms with a fever, with BA5, more people might have a lower respiratory infection. So if we've got a lot of people with infections out there and we start to see a rise in the people that get quite unwell, whether they need hospital or not. That's a reason for concern. So winter's hard to control the virus. We've got these variants coming along one after another. It's, it is the challenge time for us right now to try and avoid infection where we possibly can, make sure we're up to date with our vaccinations and try and get through this part of winter without seeing our, our hospitalizations rise further or our, or our deaths rise further. That would be a major concern. So what do we know about this new variants? Can they evade immunity from previous infections or also from the current vaccination that we have? Well, both. And that's the, the frustrating thing. Every time we get a new subvariant, it's a little bit different yet again from what we had before. And our immune system in the past, you know, it learns about coronavirus. It responds faster. It stops you getting infected. It works well. By the time we got to Delta, our vaccination wasn't such a good cover. Delta looked quite a bit different from our original variants that the vaccine was built on, but it still worked and you still could halve your risk of infection even after some months. But when we got to Omicron, Omicron's different. 
it was another step again into this what we call immune escape. And that means we were more vulnerable to reinfection from previous, you know, um, Delta infections didn't protect you from Omicron. But interestingly, Omicron itself doesn't protect you from itself. If you have an Omicron infection, it doesn't stop you from having another Omicron infection, particularly when you have these related but different subvariants that that pop up and then start to become the dominant strain. So it means we now have a longer wave. We don't go up and down and we're over it. We go up and then we have another push up and another push up. So we're in this winter of a succession of uh, variants, each a little bit more immune escape. And so that's the challenge for us that we have to make sure that people have had all their, their eligible boosters because the booster gives you a bit more cross immunity, gives you a bit more protection from Omicron. It it reduces your risk of serious illness quite dramatically. The people at highest risk who are eligible for the winter booster, it brings their their infection, their, their serious infection risk down by another two thirds. And that's important because they still have a risk. They are still ending up some people um, either in hospital or, or not surviving their infection. So it's really important we bring that risk down as much as we can. In younger adults, protection from serious illness is there from the original vaccine plus the booster. And that lasts really well. If you've got a strong immune system, if you're not older or have other immune compromising conditions, that protection lasts. And so up to now, we haven't looked at a, another booster for that group because it only gives you short-term protection from infection. But they'll be looking at that now in Canberra because maybe that's what we need, you know, to actually get more people who haven't had their first booster having it and also perhaps opening up the second booster for more people so that we can help bring those infection rates down or keep them down a bit over this winter period when we've got yet another new variant starting to take off in this country. Uh, Professor Bennett, uh, how serious uh, could a reinfection be uh, for someone who had infection in the past and uh, they, they may have, you know, the vaccination, all the three vaccinations and they don't. And if they get reinfected, how serious it could be? Well, it's a good question. You're, the way you have an infection, it, it depends on the infecting dose. So whether you have, you, you just get enough virus to start an infection and then you you're able to fight it off because you've got some immunity, then you have a very mild infection, maybe no symptoms, particularly if you're young. But sometimes we're hearing that people actually have one infection and then the next one comes along and it's very different. They're actually quite unwell. And it may be just they got a bigger infecting dose. You know, they were exposed to someone infectious and had a big dose before they could fight it off. But it also seems to be something about reinfection with Omicron that uh, a study showed that actually for some people, the symptoms do get worse. And we also are worried that repeat infections, the fact you might have two or three in quick succession, could increase your risk for long COVID by having those long-term effects that we're still learning about. So it still means it's important for everyone, no matter what age you are, no matter what your past experience was with infections, to try and avoid infections. So that's, that is about vaccination. It's also about wearing masks when you're around other people, all those things that, that we know work but trying to remember to do those things now because the exposure risk is so high. When our infection rates are high, that means that, you know, you go into a, 
a, a local shop, if you're living in a city and there's 25, 30 people in there, there's a very good chance that one of them has the virus and doesn't even know. Yeah. Professor, you're saying that people should follow up on the basic etiquettes like wearing masks, maintaining distance. What about the governments which have rolled back all the restrictions? Should they be reintroducing those uh, restrictions back, asking people to um, making it mandatory for people to wear masks, maintain distance like we had before? I think we're unlikely to see it in the form of rules. I think, you know, we've all been kind of told what to do for the last two years. But in reality, longer term, what's going to be sustainable is actually making sure people have the information they need to make those safe choices. Um, rules are starting to wear very thin. You know, we've got places where we still have rules in place. A lot of states require, in fact, all states um, in healthcare, aged care. That's pretty good because that's that's supervised. Public transport, most places, you know, you have to wear um, masks and the, the reporting back is that it can be less than 50% actually wearing masks. So it's not the rules as such. It's actually giving people the information to say it's really important you wear masks and not just for you, but the fact that you could be infectious, not even know it and put someone else at risk. And we have people who rely on public transport. They don't have alternatives. And they need to be kept safe. And if these are people who are more vulnerable, even if they've had their winter dose and they're wearing a mask, it's really important that we all wear masks because that reduces their risk that bit further. And, and that's really important because it could still be serious enough for them to end up in hospital if we don't all do the right thing. But do you advocate governments to uh, bring back those uh, restrictions, at least uh, not in a very larger term, maybe shorter restrictions, face masks, mandatory even in indoors areas or maybe when they are out in public? Yeah, I think we haven't seen any appetite for that from government now. And I think they have a sense that they can say it, but no one will do it. And there's no enforcement, you know, and I do think it's it's got to be something else now. You know, the people wearing masks on public transport probably would wear them whether there was a rule or not. The people who aren't wearing them probably wouldn't wear them whether there was a rule or not. You know, it's got to be something else going ahead. And I do think we need better information um, more active surveillance so we know what are the variants in our community, what is the actual risk of catching the virus in my part of the world, and, um, and good data on how masks do change risk for people who they track and see what happens, you know, to people wearing masks versus those not wearing masks who are moving in similar circles. I think that kind of information will help as well. But I also think it's it's working with community leaders as well and, and thinking about protection and prevention. We've been very focused on outbreak control. Once the, once the virus is here, what do we do? And in fact, like with vaccines, you know, the real investment should be in prevention. You just don't want to get the virus if you can avoid it. And communities working on this and figuring out what, what makes sense in their community, what information do they need to help get that message across. You know, they can be really important partnerships with public health units or health departments to try and get the information that makes sense to people, that, you know, answers the questions that your readers and viewers bring to you. You know, that, that's what we need to do so that people go, oh, okay, that, that makes sense. I, I might wear a mask now because I see how it could work or I understand what my risk is if I don't. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Professor Bennett, uh, we have also seen there's a COVID fatigue among people. They are not rolling up their sleeves for the third booster dose. And then there is a confusion that should we wait for the uh, for a new vaccine, uh, which will specifically target Omicron. So what should people do in this situation? So if people haven't had their third dose yet, 
absolutely, it's time to do it. You know, if you've put it off because you've had infections, now you need to know that those infections don't protect you from further infection. The vaccine will, at least for a short while, give you some reduced risk. Won't stop it completely, but it will reduce your risk. It halves your risk. So it's definitely worth doing that now while our infection rates are so high. But it also boosts back up the, the protection from more serious illness. And that doesn't mean just going to hospital. That means how long you're sick at home, how bad your symptoms are. So if you can reduce that with a booster because it's got better cross-reactive immunity, it's a different kind of immunity, then if you haven't had that booster, definitely do it. If you're in one of those more vulnerable age groups um, and you haven't had your booster, your first, let alone your second that you would be eligible for, then absolutely we need people to rethink this because you are much more risk of ending up very unwell or dying from your infection. And data reported this last week from Victoria show that 72% um, of people hadn't had who died hadn't had three doses. So we know most people in the high-risk groups have had their first two doses. The majority have had the second. We want more of them to have, have the, third, you know, the, the second booster. But um, the fact that 72% of the people who died didn't have three doses, that only got as far as two, but a lot of them only had one or none, shows you the difference because actually they make up 5% of the population and yet there's 72% of the people who are dying. So some of these people might be too unwell to have a vaccine, but if it includes people who by choice didn't have a vaccine or whose family thought it wasn't good for them to have a vaccine, that's very sad because that might have been a death that we, we might have avoided. So we will always see some deaths now, as we do with flu. People who are very unwell have an infection and it can be overwhelming when you're very frail. But if we've got people that otherwise would be alive and well who just didn't have that first dose, let alone their, their fourth dose, then that is a concern because people sometimes don't realise the risk until it's too late. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Professor, do you think even the uh, governments like the federal government or the state governments do really need to push out the message again? They were very active at the start of the pandemic, but we have seen even the messaging from the government has come down. Even when they when they relax rules, people think that, you know, pandemic is about to over or pandemic is over, which is not, which is not the case. So the government should ramp up their efforts, should also show the, the same kind of seriousness. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we heard from the Prime Minister this week that the pandemic isn't over, and it was very good to hear that very clear message. And the health authorities are worried, um, as they are around the world, with our case numbers starting to push up again, not yet understanding fully what BA5 will mean at scale, having so many people with infections at the same time. So it is important that we keep collecting information to assess our risk, to tell us where our um, efforts should be focused and to give information back to the public. 